The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're tuned in to Heat Check with Trista Crick. On this episode of the Heat Check, we've got an interview with Yahoo senior NBA reporter and friend of show, Jake Fisher. He gives us some really good info on how the trade deadline went down, how the Nets KD Kyrie Harden era will be looked at over time, why the Toronto Raptors were never going to make a move at the deadline except for to be a buyer, who is going to tank moving forward this NBA season, and much, much more. Lots to get into, Nick, so do me a favor and drop that generic-ass beat. Let's just talk about, like, the trade deadline as a whole, because I felt like, to a degree, it was, like, one of the more dramatic trade deadlines, and then outside of the two real pieces of shock and awe there wasn't really anything of note yeah i mean that's kind of what we with inside information were kind of saying for a while right that like there wasn't a lot of like starting level players that were actually going to move teams um and then the Kyrie Irving thing obviously threw a giant monkey wrench in the entire trade landscape, but just like with Kevin Durant requesting a trade like an hour before free agency started, like those two situations kind of happened in a vacuum outside of everything else. Like free agency started at six o'clock on June 30th, even though KD, you know, asked out and, you know, the, the wheel still spun, the, the world still moved on. And like, the fact that Kyrie's trade happened to Dallas, like he requested them on Friday. So it was six days before the deadline. And then he was already dealt by Sunday. I mean, the reporting has been pretty clear since that KD requested his deal out of Brooklyn on Monday, but, but the nets, they weren't willing to discuss it with anybody. He wanted to go to Phoenix. He's wanted to go to Phoenix all along. So the other 28 teams kind of operated as we were expecting, which was pretty much Toronto dangling players and having a lot of, calls around the league, but they didn't make any selling type moves. They were interested in Yaka Pirtle, like we had known about since, you know, last trade deadline when they were registering interest there. 
And there were, there was a lot of activity. I mean, I wrote today at Yahoo, 71 second round picks got traded between January 1st and the deadline. The other past four years, the most was 32 second round picks traded because there just weren't a lot of players out there that were actually worthy of first round picks. And I think that's uh, illustrative of the level of talent that was actually on the market too. When did it become clear to everybody who was in the know that Phoenix was like the only place? I mean, I didn't know for certain until the deal happened. But when Kyrie's stuff dropped on Friday, everyone around the league said, well, just, just, like, just like my Twitter feed, just like yours, the timeline was going off. What does this mean for KD? Is KD next? And the impression that everyone got, and especially by everyone, I mean like rival teams inquiring, um, and especially after Brooklyn's return for Kyrie with Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, a first and a couple seconds, I believe. Yeah. Um, that was a win-now move, right? Like that was a move just like they did throughout the summer with going and get Royce O'Neal um, and re-signing Claxton, TJ Warren, and other things to try to build a contender around KD. So, I mean, the thought was still prevalent of, well, if he does, if, I mean, he's, he's changed his mind left and right. That's, that's kind of been his MO. So the thought kind of prevailed. Well, he could still do that before Thursday. He could decide. turns out he did it on Monday. Right. Um, And at that point in time, it was a holdover thing that everyone around the situation believed that if he was leaving Brooklyn and even why he requested a trade originally from Brooklyn was the thought that, that Phoenix could happen, that Phoenix was there. He could play with Devin Booker and Chris Paul. So it, it just kind of felt like an inevitability. If this came around, I mean, Memphis definitely uh, lobbed an offer. Let's say, I don't know the specifics, but I know it was definitely all their picks and they're willing to trade anybody not named Ja, Dylan Brooks and uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., but he wanted to go to Phoenix and that was the only thing that was going to happen. So I didn't know, like I said, until, you know, Wednesday when the, when the trade went down, it was like, just, I mean, I remember saying on the radio on Tuesday night in Philly um, at WIP and my family, cause I'm from the area was like listening to my brother. So like, Oh, like you called KD to Phoenix on Tuesday night. I didn't, I just like, had an understanding if he was going to get moved, the overwhelming likelihood was to the sun. So that's where he wanted to go. And then the second thing that you mentioned earlier too, was like that Toronto was just going to dangle everyone. How close do you think they actually were to ever selling the parts that they were dangling? So I don't have that definitive answer, but what I can say is that they were telling rival teams um, and the reason I don't have that definitive answer is I'm not on the phone, right? And like yeah. you're hearing stuff at the end of the day, the job is to tell the public what you believe to be true based off of the information that you hear. A lot of times you're hearing, you know, falsehoods or things that are a little bit misleading to try to paint a certain picture, right? And it's your job to, or it's my job to try to sift through all that and come and bring like the clearest picture I can, right? So with that, like, Toronto was telling other teams starting at the showcase, like, we don't know what we're going to do. We're going to take uh, until the final minutes of the deadline. We're going to have this long, like eight game road trip or whatever it was, six games, something like that. Um, all throughout the West coast before they came back that Sunday night before the deadline, they were going to regroup on Monday and figure out what the direction they wanted to go. And sure. Fred Van Vliet's contract 
He could be a free agent this summer if he opts out. Gary Trent can opt out. OG Ananobi is guaranteed to be an unrestricted free agent in 24 um, because he can't, by CBA limitations, uh, get more than 120% salary increase, which is well below his market value, being that he's $18, $19 million player right now. But they were telling teams, like, we don't know what we're going to do. And they were telling teams we might be buyers. So to me, like, I'm looking at reading all these tea leaves and operating like the 31st front office and trying to figure out what these teams are going to do because they don't know what they're going to do. All that stuff I just said to you never signaled a team that was really going to sell. And it signaled a team just just like they did with Kyle Larry in 2021. They were going to talk and talk and see what the market was looking like. And then probably the result would really come in the summer. So that at a certain point was really what I expected to to be the case. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't like, I didn't wake up on Thursday confident, but I fully believed that they were going to go after Jakob Pertl and the rest was kind of undetermined. And it seems like even though there's a finality to it right now, I mean, it's, it's late February already, like June's pretty close. So we'll see what happens come this off season, especially if, they don't continue to rise up the East. They're still, I mean, they're a ways away from getting out of the play-in tournament, which is, you know, obviously not where they want to be when they've got all these guys will, who are up for $30 million paydays coming up. Yeah, you know, I thought that, that to myself, I was sitting in the lawn in Arizona and right before this, the, you know, on Super Bowl week. And I was like, do we really actually believe these guys are going to do anything? Like, are they really going to move OG Ananobi when he's under team control? For another year and change like it just doesn't it never felt like a messiah move like a full fire sale you know what i mean yeah. so i think you're i think you're right I, it is interesting that they didn't do anything really at all except for you know purchase uh yaga Pertle, former player in, in fairness like they can say no one met our asking price like the pacers offered three first right the pacers picks i believe one's one was cleveland one's milwaukee like those aren't those aren't great first round picks that they're, they're late twenties. The Grizzlies offering a bunch of picks. The Grizzlies are going to, they're projecting to be, you know, a top five record team in the league. Like they have been for the next half decade. Like how valuable <laughs> are those picks going to be? So I can understand, you know, the, the Raptors thinking, well, we did a good job of drawing up this interest to get the quantity of first rounders, but the quality isn't what we're looking for. Like that could be a fair counter argument, but um, I don't know. Three first-round picks, no matter where they land, for a player that I don't know. I don't know if OG was ever going to be more than what he is in Toronto. That's also, you know, why would a team give up so 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 much more than what we just stated? Because they wanted to pick from everything I've heard, the Raptors wanted picks and players or and the player. When that, that that's let's say it's Memphis. Or, in, or Indiana, but Memphis probably it's greater stakes for them being that they're they're at the top of this uh, you know echelon here. Are they going to just willingly mortgage all that stuff to be right in the situation Toronto is, where he could be an unrestricted free agent with no guarantees to resign in twenty four? That's a lot. That's a big price to pay. Yeah, and it's not that much cheaper than say like a Donovan Mitchell or a you know it's it's more than a Kyrie Irving at this stage. It's, yeah just slightly cheaper than Kevin Durant just feels like the drop off from like a a list player to let's be honest, like probably a B minus player, but a really good wing defender. It's like Toronto's very 
uh, Danny Angish when it comes to getting what they want. Um, so I guess, how do you think the trades actually fit into the rest of the season? Like, do you think anything really makes an impact outside of KD and Kyrie to their respective destinations? I do. I mean, I think the Clippers got better and they're going to end up being just uh, a talkable team until their season ends because Kawhi and Paul George are so good when healthy and active and that has not been the case consistently. Right. And people love to talk about they're the big poster argument against, you know, load management and whatnot. Um, But, and and this is also like the fourth year of this expensive iteration. And they, they, they were across the aisle of the KD Kyrie uh, experiment in Brooklyn. Like, those, those tandems came together the exact same offseason um, in July 2019. So, like, one potential super team dynasty already crumbled. Like, is the time running out on this iteration in L.A. where there was already talk around the league back when they made that Western Conference Finals run against the Suns in 2021 of, like, if they didn't make it that far, what was going to happen up top? Like, there's, I'm not, I'm not here to say that like I know definitively that there's hot seats in in LA, but like this conventional wisdom would suggest he paid all this money to put together this you know contender that maybe they don't make it to the Western Conference Finals more than once in a four year window, like that would be below expectations, right? So they got better with Eric Gordon and Mason Plumley, and I I really do like Bones Highland. I know there's been some, um, you know personality stuff that's come up in Denver but I mean he's a damn good player he's on the second year of his rookie deal that's a pretty good you know gamble I think from LA the Nuggets got better with Thomas Bryant um and Reggie Jackson's a nice buyout signing Golden State getting Gary Payton the second back like I don't think he's a world changer but you at least turn James Wiseman who was not going to play for them this year into someone who was a really valuable rotation piece for them I mean the Lakers got a lot better obviously they're starting yeah. five to pull the doors off the Pelicans without Zion but uh the other night so I mean the whole conference I think outside of Portland really got better your Blazers like they didn't exactly buy to move this thing forward here Trista what what's going on it doesn't feel like it. No, uh, they got a first round pick uh, that is only lottery protected. So that will convey, I think this year, they're going to need to figure something out, right? Like Jeremy Grant, whether he ends up getting a deal done this summer, I don't know. I saw something earlier today that I forget who it was writing it, that in order to keep Dame really supported that most likely they would have to sign or they would most likely have to trade Anthony Simons and Shaden Sharp, which I'm, I very much disagree about trading Shaden Sharp, but it just doesn't feel like their philosophy is much different than Neil O'Shea's was outside of just finding more athletic dudes. I think Neil O'Shea would have been fine with Cam Reddish. Like I think Neil O'Shea would have been fine with Jeremy Grant. Like maybe he doesn't, maybe he doesn't draft Shaden Sharp. Maybe he ends up with like, I don't know, some white guy from Gonzaga that's not Chet Holmgren, but like, I don't know that this is a defensive first team, really. And to me, it doesn't feel like they're doing game any favors. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Just real quick about the Nets. Like, I think there's going to be books written about the Nets. Like, for sure. I think maybe you write a book about the Nets. Uh, <laughs> do you think, like, there was any other endeavor. way? What did you say? So it would be an interesting endeavor. Right? Uh, do you think there was any other way out of this situation? Like, a series of unfortunate events uh, around injuries and, and, like, a weird pandemic happening once in a lifetime? So... Yes, but also like that's what happens in every big stakes environment in this league. And it's why people are looking at the Kyrie Luka Doncic pairing as like a potentially combustible situation, right? I mean, you do you you trade for the superstars every time in this league. That's just kind of the the MO around front offices because worst case scenario typically you can be where Brooklyn is right now, where they are at a hell of a better starting point at this moment than they were in 2016 when their asset cover was dry. And, you know, they, they, they screwed the pooch with the KG Paul Pierce, you know, deal because those guys were well past their prime and whatever. Like if you do it with guys who are ready to play right now and at the peak of their powers, like Brooklyn did, if it doesn't work out, you'll be able to get a pretty good return back. That being said, like when you do, mortgage young players and first round picks in the moment it's hard to continue to add ancillary pieces the bucks just had to send out five second round picks to add jay crowder to this team um and when as the lakers have seen especially like when your roster is so top heavy with salary and so much of the success is dependent on just a couple of guys and a couple of guys getting along in an environment that is pretty self-centered and ego-driven and a competitive, you know, small sphere where your contract and your riches and your fame are all dependent on how good you perform on TV in front of millions of people every night. That's a conflicting idea to the essence of basketball where you share amongst your teammates to try to be a, a collective other. So there's it's just a natural situation where these tensions and these pressures can, can blow up. And I think it gets um, so much easier for things to fail when the stakes are that high and there's such a pressure cooker and you are in an environment where you put the onus on yourselves to be championship or bust. So whether it's, you know, the Celtics big three with KG and Paul Pierce that we just talked about, you know, Ray Allen left and there was an emotions there and he went, goes to the heat and the heat thing crumbles with LeBron, you know, everyone talking about that locker room when they lost to the Spurs, they were so exhausted and, they were just glad it was over and KD and Golden State and like, 
because these these marriages, the honeymoon period always always ends. So um, I don't necessarily think it was like doomed to fail from the beginning or like how could they have avoided it? But like to for any team build to be successful, it's going to take so much luck and so many circumstances. And I just think the odds are are more against you to sustain it long term just because of the ultimate stakes that come in those situations. I actually like Brooklyn now more than I did last year. I do. Like, I think this trade's going to go down to me as uh, an incredible opportunity for Mikhail Bridges to prove that he can be an offensive power as well. Like he was a defensive specialist for the Phoenix Suns and that was his role. And he was never going to be the guy with the ball in his hands at all times. And I was curious to see how, the ball sharing would go between him and Spencer Dinwiddie because Spencer doesn't like to share the ball with anyone unless their name is Luca. And he's like, that's his role. Um, but Mikhail already putting buckets up at 45 the other night shows that he was sort of underutilized in a lot of ways in Phoenix. Yeah. I mean, look, there's a situation where the Nets put together a fun little run down the stretch and they make some noise in the playoffs, take a team to seven or something. Um, and then there's a star that decides, you know what, I want out of my team this summer. And I'm looking at Brooklyn because they got a bunch of picks they just got from Phoenix and a bunch of players. I want to go there. Like, Mikhail Bridges could be my number two. Cam Johnson could be my number three. Like, Nick Claxton is our defensive anchor. Like, there's a, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm not saying that's absolutely what Brooklyn wants to do, but they're excited that that's a possibility. So it, it is an interesting place to be in. If I was Sean Marks, I would say no to any star that wanted to go there again. I think that's the <laughs> only way you build the, the fan base to some level of real loyalty. Because the one thing that I realized from being on the fan was that fans just don't care because they feel no connection to these players. And it, Brooklyn's never been really the, the place for New York fans to like clamor around. It's always been the Knicks. And so unless they figure out some way to organically build something, buying stars, I don't think is a really great. And I don't think Sean Marks does well with stars, truthfully. Like, I don't think that's his <laughs> forte. You know what I mean? I mean, the, the, the track record has not been exemplary so far. <laughs> It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc. Part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Shuts it down. 
I got my my curiosity is always obviously always with OKC because even when they're teetering on success uh, in prior years, they've been you know very reluctant to keep success going. Right, like they shut down Shea last year, they shut down Giddy last year, they shut down like even Kenrick Williams I think at one point. Like anybody who had a pulse wasn't playing for this team. Obviously, we mentioned Portland. Portland is not on a trajectory for a play-in spot, like despite what Dame thinks or what Chauncey Billups thinks. Like, who do you think goes, or do you, like full, I'm going to sell mode, like for the rest of the season, I'm just going to, whether they shut down players or they just lose games, like semi-intentionally? I think it'll happen. Can I pinpoint where? I'll, I'll pinpoint where I don't think it will. Orlando seems pretty content on trying to win games and trying to compete and magic want to take steps forward. The Pistons. Um, I mean, they haven't had to bench guys to be the worst team in the league. So I don't think, I don't think, the, I don't think we'll see that either. I think Bojan Bogdanovic is still going to be chasing 30 every night. Um, you know, San Antonio has lost a good amount of games after selling Josh Richardson and taking on Dwayne Deadman into salary and waving him. I don't think the Spurs have a ton of interest in competing for the postseason. Um, Utah, I would expect to see some more youth movement, some more minutes for unproven guys, some some Bajji opportunity. Um, to, I mean, they just moved Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley and Mike Conley out the door. Russell Westbrook obviously is not going to be playing for the Utah Jazz. So, um those are probably the two teams I, I would highlight the most. The Thunder, I never, I've gotten into plenty of trouble speaking about the Thunder in positions where I don't 100% know what's going on there. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, abstain Definitely from bow out on that. That makes sense. <laughs> uh, one thing about the Thunder I thought was interesting was a recent uh, article that came out that I don't know why even they would do this. That they promised Jabari uh that they would take him number two overall if he was there obviously they take chet jabari ends up in houston like how how normal is something that would be very blatantly not true obviously he was not going to be a fit there i think two things one i think teams say we're going to take you here if you're there and that can be one of two things one, it is a promise, and the guy they thought wasn't going to be there is all of a sudden there. Or two, they could say to someone, if you're there, we think we're going to take you, and the, or we're going to take you, or whatever, and then the player and their parents just take it as an ironclad promise when it really wasn't. Um, and then there are promises where you know we promise this guy, and then that's the guy they take because they, they're men of and women of their words, and that's what they said. So... Um, with Jabari's circumstance, I don't know what it was, but I just know that from my reporting, Chet Holmgren wanted to go to OKC. OKC was obviously very interested in Chet Holmgren. And the second that he did not go number one, I was not expecting him to not go to. Like, it was kind of a sliding doors thing where either Palo or Jabari were going to go one or three, depending on what the Magic decided. So um, I don't know where Jabari Smith's camp got that impression. Could they have thought that they got promised and it wasn't a promise? Sure. That is a uh, Houston maybe uh, broke him. I think he seems like he's not himself. There's new articles about how he cried on draft night when they took him, uh, which 
I, I guess I understand, given that this is going to be a losing situation in the post-Harden era. To me, my opinion is the only way he gets out of this jail sentence is if James Harden somehow wants to go back. Feels to me like Houston is a mess, but I don't exactly know why. Like, I kind of know why, but I don't exactly know why. Uh, outside of, say, Steve, Steven Silas being obviously the wrong coach for this type of group, what do you, what in your estimation is wrong there? Um, you know, it's, it's a question that I want to make more phone calls about and potentially even go to Houston to learn more about in the coming weeks. Um, but what I can say and what I will say is that, I mean, there hasn't been a clear direction to build this thing forward more so than just adding top level rookie talents into the mix here. Um, I mean, Eric Gordon has been, you know, in the fold. Christian Wood was there a year ago. Um, but in terms of like, it, it isn't just like you draft guys, and then you add pieces and then things just materialize. Like there needs to be some type of commitment towards winning as opposed to just throwing minutes at particular players that your front office is invested in and actually like coming in with, strategies on how to develop these guys in winning roles in a particular greater team environment that just doesn't seem to be the case it seems like they're you know, back to the john wall situation from everything i'd heard last season it was just we want to play kevin porter jr and jalen green x number of minutes you x number of minutes off the bench and like take it or leave it and obviously he left it and it didn't seem like there was any more of a of a I mean, I, I don't want to discredit the coaching staff there for not having more of a plan, but um, just from the way the conversations have gone, it just hasn't sounded like there's been a collective universal, um, like we're all moving in this direction together, which you know, a concerted thing is important, like to have your owner and your front office and your head coach and your like player development guy all aligned on what Kevin Porter Jr. or Jalen Green or KJ Martin need to be doing to Jabari Smith to become this player that you envision your overall team to be, then like any second you're not doing that, it's kind of just a waste of time. Yeah. Uh, I saw this and I don't know why this is happening, but uh, this is some tea. It's like a tea related question. Uh, why do you think there's this like uprising of, chatter that there's some sort of problem between ad and braun like what what's i feel like that's very weird it's just the body language doctors are out she <laughs> clearly was not thrilled the evening of lebron's all-time record-setting performance and he's kind of been pouty ever since i mean when he was when the lakers were here in new york it was like a week before he broke the record at msg they were talking about how like LeBron is going to inevitably and LeBron was in New York, like a week before he was going to break it. Of course he was going to be asked about it. That's just how the media scene works here. And AD was kind of chuckling about it and saying like, Oh damn, that's cold or something like that. When LeBron said, I'm going to break it just like a matter of time. So, I mean, this hasn't been like a long winding, whatever it is. I'll say like, I, I can say that, um, but yeah, I mean, the situation just hasn't been perfect. So you think, I it's, real? You think it's real? 
I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I think a lot of this has been just a tough season on the whole where it's just, it's a, it's a drain generally to be in the center of that storm all year long where there's headlines and headlines and headlines and people asking about it. And it's not just the headlines. Obviously things are happening behind the scenes that are not, uh, exemplary either so it when it when it's just not a fun environment to be in like you can understand why things can kind of snowball and uh and grow a little bit yeah i mean i i've heard for years that the lakers are one of the least fun environments to play in like not just when you're winning it's great yeah you're winning it's great yeah it's like a worse version of like new york sports because it's, it's just different right like there's just different trappings i saw this factoid um the Celtics are on pace to lead the NBA with 58 wins. And that'll be the the first time it's that a team hasn't broken 60 wins in the NBA since like 2000. Mm. And it's the second time that that would have happened in 44 years. Uh, like I just kind of like finally, cause I know we got to both go just kind of get your estimation on like, why, why yeah. that there is no team that's maybe going to get to 60 and what, that actually means for the league. Yeah. There's just so much talent in the NBA right now. And there, there's no absolute juggernaut warriors or even like, it wasn't just the fact that the warriors were such a juggernaut. It was the fact that it was kind of a foregone conclusion that golden state and Cleveland were going to meet in the finals for four straight years. And that might, before that Miami was going to make the finals for four straight years. And San Antonio was there for, you know, pretty much every year. They weren't in the finals every single year, but they were they were a threat every year for the better part of two decades. There's the Warriors are still here, LeBron's still here. There's still, you know, the old cast of characters that are knocking on the door. But it just there's a it's considered in the league right now that any goal you want to accomplish, whether you're a rebuilding team who wants to make the play in, whether you're a playing team who wants to make the playoffs, whether you're a team who's been a first round roadkill that wants to make move further into the postseason everyone's under the impression that we're one move away from getting there. Yeah. And that's because the talent's so deep. So everyone's given their best shot primarily. And the parity has been, I think, a result of those uh, compounding factors where the playing tournament has clearly helped a lot in that regard. Um, combined with this influx of young dudes where like, you know, Palo, for example, is, contributing winning type of basketball right now it's not like luca was immediately in dallas but very rarely do these rookies come in and impact winning let alone like anthony edwards is all of a sudden an engine in minnesota and you know there's just there's just a lot of really good young players in the league right now while we still have so many players like lebron and chris paul and kd and steph who are playing at such a high level dame at you know in the to, into their mid and late 30s so let's get a prediction so we got 20 something <laughs> games left who's in the finals is our are our, our dubs still okay i'm going dubs to the western conference finals however i'm gonna right now i'm gonna tip my hat to denver and i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna pick denver and i'm gonna pick denver milwaukee little small market finals that the NBA will love. And uh, who do they play in the Eastern conference finals? Boston. I think the Sixers had the talent to be in that top tier with those two teams. They're clearly ahead of Cleveland. 
when they put it all together, but they just don't put it all together on a consistent enough basis, I think, to make it through four rounds, let alone three. Um, So I I think it's going to be Boston-Milwaukee. And then who wins? Give me Giannis and the Bucks. Let's do it. Many thanks to Jake Fisher on this episode of the Heat Check. We'll be back on Friday. Keep it locked. Please subscribe. Please download. Please tell all your friends, every single one of them, and follow us on at this heat check on TikTok and at Trista Crick everywhere you get your social media. We'll see you next time.